Thank you, Viviana. All right. So we got lots going on in, in December. It is a great time of year. And to give you a heads up, just on kind of our church calendar for the month, uh, next Sunday we're going to have uh, our intern, uh, Kyle Popuk, going to be preaching the message to us. And I always look forward to when he gets a chance to preach. And so you guys know, he's going to be ending the internship in December. Uh, he's still going to be a part of the church and serve in, in various capacities, but he is a full-time student. And it went great for the, the year, year and a half, I think, that we had him as an intern. But it's time for us to say goodbye and let him move on to, to other things. But we did bring on board another intern, and his name is Aaron Henderson. And he's somewhere here. Stand on up. And uh, Aaron will be serving in the in the high school ministry for the most part. And we're really looking forward to the stuff him and Logan are going to do together next year. It's going to be a great time for the high school ministry. I believe there are classes today, if I'm not mistaken. So if you're in the junior high or high school, you are dismissed to your class at this time. And uh, uh, while you head on out, I do want to let the, the rest of you know that after next Sunday, the following Sunday, will be our annual Christmas service. That's the one where we bring the lights down, we show the videos, we have the readings and all that kind of stuff, and it's always a good time. And then Aaron, our new intern, will be closing out the year with a message on the final Sunday of the year. So really looking forward to the next few weeks. It's going to be a lot of fun as a church. Amen. I think all the kids are out now. That's great, or at least almost out. So I uh, want to welcome you. I'm Joe Collins. Welcome to See Me Church. Last week, we ended our series on the book of Jeremiah, or the life of Jeremiah, called Jeremiah, the Branch of an Almond Tree. And I really appreciated all the feedback. We had, a, we had a little give and take in that service where people got to share sort of some of the things they learned over the several months that we focused on Jeremiah. And then we had a nice time of celebration. That's becoming our custom. Whenever we have one of these long series that goes on for an extended period of time, we like to end it with a little bit of a party. And so we had a great party last Sunday. It was a lot of fun, great time to, to fellowship and be with each other. But today, what I want to do now is introduce to you a new series. Now, this is not going to be uh, the same kind of series as Jeremiah or the one we did a few years ago, Jesus Worth Following. It's not going to be a month, week to week, month to month ongoing series like that. Nor is it going to be a series about a subject in the Bible, specifically. It's going to be a series about the church, but not the church that we read about in the first century. It's going to be a series about Simi Church, about what, what I believe God is putting on our hearts as we go forward these next few years. Because I really believe that church is a very important part of our life. And, and I wasn't alive in the first century, so for me, church is Simi Church. Now, I believe we're a part of that great tradition that was started back in the first century. We're part of that. We're just one small part of that, of God's church. But we're this part. We're here. And so from time to time, I think it's important that we talk about our church, and so today what I want to do is introduce to you just an introductory lesson on this series. And again, this series isn't going to be every month. We're going to visit it from time to time, just off and on throughout the year. But I want to introduce the idea today that from time to time, we do need to talk about us, about us 
as a church, about who we are, where we've been, and where we want to go for God. When I grew up in my family, uh, my parents often said, family matters. It's important. Put your family first. I really believe that God cares about his family. He calls it the church, and therefore church matters. And it's something that we need to be, needs to be a priority in each and every one of our lives. So for today, and by way of introduction, I want to tell you a little bit about who we are as Simi Church, from our journey so far to where we want to head in the near future. But before we get into that, I want to talk, I want to go back to the very beginnings of the church. And I'm not talking about Simi Church now, I'm talking about God's church, 2,000 some odd years ago, way back in Acts chapter Two. And I want to spend some time appreciating the story and even spend some time dwelling in the story. And then after that, we'll take some time. We'll talk more about our present day experience, what we want to be and where we want to go as Simi Church. And then we'll close out our service. So that being said, turn with me over to Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to say a prayer before we get started. Father, it is so great to come and spend time in worship with friends and family and a community of people who love you and want to know you and worship you. I pray for your spirit to be with us and fill us at this time and help us to look into your word and to dwell in it and to let it speak to us this morning and then God, give us hearts to think about what that means for us today and how we can go forward today as your church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. You know, I'll bet that most of you here in the audience know that Acts chapter 2 is the historical record of the beginning of the church. Not Simi Church, but the church, which Simi is a part of. Now, it went like this. Sometime in the spring of A.D. 30 or 33, depending on how you do the math, on a Jewish holiday known as Shavuot, or what the Greeks called Pentecost, which stands for 50, because it is celebrated 50 days after the Passover. In Jesus' day, before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in A.D. 70, Shavuot, or Pentecost, was one of three pilgrimage feasts celebrated every year in which the Jews were required to present themselves at the temple in Jerusalem. So no matter where they lived all over the Middle East, three times a year they would journey or pilgrimage to Jerusalem for these special holidays. One of them was Pentecost, and it happened to be the most widely 
participated in of the holidays because it occurred in the spring, which was a good time to travel. My wife and I have done a little bit of traveling. We've been to Europe a couple times. And I'll tell you, we always go, well, one time we went in the winter, but we always go when we can go in the spring. Before summer, before the crowds, before it gets too hot, you go in the spring. Well, that's when most people went to Jerusalem and they celebrated Shavuot or Pentecost there at the temple. This explains why in verse 5, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Verse 7, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors to Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs were even there for crying out loud. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. As I said, in Jesus' day, Pentecost, or as the Jews put it, Shavuot, was a celebration that they participated in every year as commanded by God. People pilgrimage to the city to celebrate it. But the meaning of the celebration, the specific reason why they went to celebrate was twofold. On the one hand, it was the celebration of the harvest. It was right about the time of the start of the annual wheat harvest. But it was also, and this is quite interesting, the anniversary of the time that God gave the law to the people through his, his servant Moses. So some 13, 1400 years before Jesus celebrated, the, or before the disciples were celebrating this Pentecost, the Israelite people left Egypt. You saw the, 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 the uh, in the Exodus, you saw the Prince of Egypt, that cartoon. They left Egypt and on that day, that was Passover, some people estimate the date to be April 15th, they left Egypt on our calendar, and 50 days later, right about June 3rd, they arrived at the foot of Mount Sinai. And Moses went up on the mountain a number of times, but he eventually came down one time, and the people covenanted there at Mount Sinai with God. And the Ten Commandments and the law of Moses was given. That special moment in the Jewish history is considered by many to be their birthday as a nation. Prior to that, they were slaves in Egypt, a kind of a rabble of people. And after they were exodus out, 50 days later, they met God at the mountain, they were given a law code of their own, and they became a nation of people. There at Mount Sinai, what would later be celebrated as Shavuot or Pentecost in Jesus' day. It was a time for them to recommit themselves to the law of God. 
and to their covenant, or the law of Moses and their covenant with God. Now on this particular Pentecost, some Jesus followers were in the city of Jerusalem because they were celebrating Shavuot. And when they were there, some real curious things started to happen. A wind started, a noise like the sound of a wind, a violent wind, filled the house in which they were sitting. Flashes of light or fire rested on each of them. And they began to speak in foreign languages, previously unknown to them. Now, this was a significant moment for them. It was a significant moment, and it's a very significant moment in the Bible. They didn't know it yet. But as this commotion was happening, these, these things were occurring there in the city, people from nearby, from around the city, heard <coughs> the sound. And they started wandering their way over in the direction of the sound. And eventually a crowd, we're going to, later it's recorded, we're not going to read it, but that crowd swelled to many thousands, kind of surrounded the house wondering what was going on. They were perplexed because this group of people was somehow able to speak their language. Remember, there were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They spoke different languages. And here they are hearing these men speak, who clearly weren't fellow countrymen, in their native tongue. I have a friend, he tells a funny story. He's a minister at a local church, and he was, grew up the son of missionaries in northern Japan in like the 50s, 60s. And in northern Japan, I'm told, I've never been there, that's someplace I'd like to go in the spring. <laughs> but in northern Japan, I'm told that it's kind of like the hillbilly area. Like the Japanese sort of look at northern Japan like we might look at hillbillies. Not necessarily mean that derogatory, but I mean they just have a whole different kind of way of being, a different vibe, and an and a accent that's very noticeable. Maybe you know someone from the South, the Deep South, or the East Coast, and they've got a very noticeable accent. Well, my friend's family are white Americans. They went there to be missionaries. He was born and raised, raised as a very young child there, went to school there, and so he speak, speaks fluent Japanese in a hillbilly accent. <laughs> and he, he loves it when he meets Japanese people who speak Japanese around him, not suspecting that he might know what they're saying. And then when he responds, he loves their reaction because their jaw just drops open because they stare at him with this white guy with a hillbilly accent speaking in Japan, in Japanese. <laughs> That's kind of what was happening. This group of people was like, this doesn't add up. What is, what is going on here? And they were perplexed. Others dismissed this as just some sort of drunk rave party that got out of control. And still others wondered what 
does this mean? At some point, one of the followers of Jesus, a man named Peter, he stood up and he began to explain to them what was happening. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire billows of smoke the sun will be turned to darkness the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved Peter was explaining to this crowd of religious Jews that this was the beginning of of a new era in God-human relationships. It would be an era marked by the indwelling, the inside gift of the Holy Spirit and by salvation for all who would seek it. You didn't need to be Jewish. You didn't need to even be a convert to Jew. You just needed to want it. It is truly the day that church began. What we call church today began. Now, before I transition and we talk about Simi Church, I want us to spend some time appreciating this event. Because if it had never had happened, not only would the entire course of human history be radically different, none of us would be here today. So in order to do this, I want you to do me a favor. I'm going to ask you to get out of your comfort zone. And I want you to find a partner. That partner could be sitting next to you, maybe one or two of you together, or three at most. If you're new and you don't really know anybody, just find someone that looks relatively friendly. <laughs> I want you to partner with them. And what we're going to do is we're going to do something called dwelling in God's Word. If you're unfamiliar with what that is, it's, it's a very simple practice that goes back centuries that Christians have done where you take a certain passage of Scripture and you just read it over and over and over quietly to yourself. Maybe take five minutes. And just let the passage jump out to you. Maybe a specific word or a specific phrase will speak to you. And when that happens, contemplate that thought. Meditate on it. See where that thought leads you. And then after those five minutes, I want you to share with your partner what that thought was. What was the word or the pass or the, or the small phrase or the, or the short phrase? And what jumped out at you about it? After that, 
I'm going to ask those who are willing to maybe open up and just share with all of us what jumped out at you. I'll share with what, what jumped out at me, and then we'll transition and talk about Simi Church. So you have five minutes. You can just read the passage repeatedly to yourself. Let it speak to you. I'll give you a cue, and then you can share with the person next to you what jumped out at you. That one right there, the one on the screen. 15 to 20. Yep. Sorry. Can we have a little background music? I think it's just a pad, just something like that. Just that simple pad you had running before, very quietly. Okay, now if you can, find your partner and just kind of share what word jumped out at you, what phrase, and what, what was that about for you? So, for those of you that might be willing, those of you who have a little bit of courage, maybe you could share publicly, just from your seat, out loud. I'd love to know what spoke to you. Yes? Thank you. I'm going to repeat for the recording, but you're sharing what your partner shared with you, your mom, that, you know, there's this is about something bigger than just uh, uh, what's happening, uh, in, you know, in sitting and reading like this is something you can. It's big. It's it's uh, sun and moon and stars and sky. Right. It's it's a bigger experience than just sitting and casually reading the Bible. OK. Yes. So I had a great time here with Wayne. We were sharing our insights about the scripture. What stood out for me was just the last verse there. Everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. What does that really mean? 
right? If any of us have traveled, you know, is calling on the name of the Lord, is it like calling room service at a hotel? <laughs> yeah. You just call when you want a delivery and it doesn't happen and on time and then you tip God or you tip a servant there. <laughs> but what's the relationship that, that I have, that we have with God? And calling on Him does that really mean as a child of say to a parent? And is there a relationship? Is there a love? Is there a dependence? We just have our list of requests and we just hope that it's met. If not, it's angry. Mm -hmm. So what spoke to you was the phrase calling on the name of the Lord will be saved and you're connecting it to the depth. How, how significant is that? It's, that goes beyond just room service, as you said, uh, just calling on God whenever you need something. This is something more significant. It's deeper. It's a relationship. Yeah. Um, so Jeremy and I were partners and it was verse 20 about you have the sun and the moon One's turning to darkness, one's turning to blood. And those are two things we rely on for our harvest time. And without it, we're lost. Yeah. And, but then that's what happens. What comes after that is a great and glorious day of the Lord. So you kind of have like almost like the computer shutting down, like he kind of pulls the plug, you know, but then there's this restart of this great, this glorious day of the Lord. It's almost like before Christ and after almost. It kind of has that, mm -hmm. that, that sense about it. So it's, it's very powerful. Great connection. The idea of that, uh, of the sun and the moon going dark and something different and new happening after that's even greater and more glorious. What a great connection. Way in the back, Masood. Yeah, the verse, ironically, both of us being had the same verse. Uh, you know, the spirit, the Lord forces the spirit people. Yes. And also, it reminds me that, you know, in, also in Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians, it talks about, you know, we live by spirit, the spirit of the Lord. And uh, for those who, you know, like he said, for those of us who accept it, it forces on all, all, all people, but there are people who don't want it. It's a gift. Yeah. Uh, obligation. So the idea of the Spirit being poured out on everyone really resonated with you and that God does that for anyone who would want it. Rob, I saw your hand go up. Uh, well, the kind of stole mine. Okay. Yeah. The God, God's, God doesn't hold it back. He pours it out on everyone. He's very generous in that way. Greg. Um, I, I kind of like a little line that says, your old men will dream dreams. <laughs> dreams are for young people, right? I mean, oh, yeah. think that. And as I get older, I feel like maybe my dreams are going away. But that's encouraging. Yeah. For the old people in the audience, you really resonated to the old men dream dreams. Because <laughs> you're feeling that way. You're feeling that way. <laughs> yes. Some of the older, more wise people have shared their dreams with me, and that's inspired my own vision for what to do in the church, how to really connect to God in different ways. And so it was really special to me to see the, the connection. Yeah, you made a connection between the old and the young and the spirit being pulled, poured out on both and how, how that interplay works. Vivi. Actually, actually, I was 
artists from front to side and your young men's divisions and all my own ages. That's the verse that stood out to me because I was thinking how neat it would be to see my kids preaching or, or um, young men seeing visions and inspiring people and also old men inspiring people as well. Yeah, that connection. Now that we're parents, we think about, wow, God's going to do something great with the next generation, our kids. One more, uh, Dana. Sorry. The idea is he's preparing his people this for this new venture that they're, they're going into. And it's very loving to you that God speaks about it and prepares us for it. For me, um, what jumped out was the idea of the great and glorious day of the Lord. The reason why that speaks to me is because uh, in their day and age, you gotta, you got to go back 2,000 years ago to the first century to this Pentecost. Sure, it was a pretty amazing event. And sure, if you were there, you'd have been kind of blown away. And you might have been one of the people going, what does this mean? Or maybe you were one of the people going, oh, these guys are, are drunk at some party and it's gotten out of hand and there's mass hallucination going on. I, I don't know where you or I might have fallen if we were there, but I want you to say, I want, I want you to hear this. In the big scheme of the world at the time, no one knew what this was, what this was about or even really cared to recognize that it was happening. I mean, it's really just recorded here in Scripture for us, and we put meaning into it because we know what happened afterwards. This small group of people went on to tell the world about Jesus Christ and about salvation for all who would seek it and about the gift of the Holy Spirit being poured out to everyone. And they went and told everyone they could, and generations down the road, all the way to our day, Christianity has become by far the largest religious belief system in the history of the world. If you add up all the dead Christians and all the Christians alive today and compare it to any other religious system, it doesn't even come close. But at the time, who would have known that? Who would have thought that? Yet, yet, Peter saw it as something great and glorious that was happening. And I, and I think about what we do here in Simi Church and as a church family. We come together on Sunday and we get into our routines and we can even get a little bit bored, heaven forbid. And we might some even, even dare I say, miss the great and glorious things that are happening. That God is still pouring out His Spirit and that he is still moving in powerful ways in every one of our lives. And who knows what's going to happen from today? Who knows where, it was going to, where it's going to go and what God might do with it? But that doesn't mean it isn't special. Because it is. And that's why I think this lesson is so important to us and why it's important for us from time to time to pause and talk about church. Not just the church we read about in the Bible, but the church we live in today. It matters. It's important. It's great and glorious what God is doing in our lives today. And we sometimes can, can miss that. Thank you for indulging me, for doing something a little different. 
and just spending time and letting God speak to you instead of me. I hope he speaks through me to you, but there's no substitute for just enjoying God's word and letting it speak. I hope when you leave here today, maybe even this week, this will become a habit for you to spend some time on a short passage of the Bible and just dwell in it. Read it over and over and over. Let it speak to you and let it make the connections that it makes for you. It's just a great habit to have as a believer. That said, I now want to shift gears and talk a little bit about See Me Church, our journey to date and where we want to go. If you're new to See Me Church, hopefully you'll find this entertaining. For those of you that have been a part of See Me Church, hopefully you'll find this encouraging. And some of these things you might remember and think back with fondness, but if you don't, that's okay. So we started way back in 2013. And uh, we originally were just about 30 people, and we were part of a larger church in the San Fernando Valley called the Valley Church. And some around, somewhere around 30 some odd people, and emphasis is on odd, people started moving <laughs> to Simi Valley. Buy houses, a little more affordable than the Valley was at the time. And lo and behold, some momentum got started. Hey, maybe... Maybe we should do something out there. Maybe we should start our own church out there. And so we started very tentatively with having midweeks in Simi Valley. I remember them because they were, we started with just seven. We, okay, we're going to do seven midweek services in Simi Valley. That was a big deal at the time. We met at a, a church in Simi Valley. The initials are KBC. That's not KFC. It's KBC. And uh, we met there and it was great. And those eventually evolved into regular midweek services. And then in 2014, we started our hand, we tried our hand at a few outdoor services, a Sunday church service. We had three, one in the west side, one on the east side, and one in the middle of Simi Valley. And that was a big deal. Then in 2015, we felt like we were ready to launch Simi Church officially. We started out at Wood Ranch Elementary. I think we even had a service or two at Sinaloa. And then eventually we made our way over to the Grand Vista and we had regular midweeks at Sini Lutheran Church. We were, we're renters, you know, it's, it's parks, hotels, and schools. That's our, that's our story. I gotta say, in all honesty, when we started, there was no sound of a rushing wind. There were no tongues of fire. <laughs> there were no languages except for a couple people who could speak Spanish. <laughs> and there certainly weren't crowds of thousands. But we had some faith. 2016, we have a sister church down in the Oxnard Ventura area. It's called Shoreline. They went through a rough time and we decided to partner with them. And so we merged our two fellowships. That was kind of a crazy year. Sort of happened towards the end of the year, but it was it was very crazy and very busy and a lot was going on. But we ended up merging by the end of the year. And in 2017, we started having regular services. Who remembers Moore Park Country Club? Man, I wish we could have got that place permanently. I loved having church up there. It was just nice to say we meet at a country club. And they included free coffee, which was great. But we bounced around a little bit until we sort of really got settled in it 
at uh, the Grand Vista Hotel. And then about halfway through that year, we reorganized the two churches and the Thousand Oaks members that were part of the Shoreline Church, the Oxnard Camarillo Church, and the Moore Park members that were part of that church moved on over and became part of Simi Church. So we now are a church in the Simi Valley Canal area. Members from Thousand Oaks, all the way around through Moore Park, all the way into Simi. Last year, or two years ago, I should say, 2018, was a big year in my opinion, because we sort of gelled as a fellowship and we landed on a mission. Our mission is love. Love God and people or neighbor. We say it every Sunday. That's our mission. It was very exciting to me as a church to finally sort of come together and go, what do we all agree on? Because you know in churches, you get people together with any group of people, there's all kinds of people wanting to go 10 different directions, they all got ideas, and you gotta find the one thing that sort of gets everybody together, and love was it. And thank goodness it was love, and not discipline. <laughs> Discipline's important though, but it's better to love. We started our intern program, that was really cool. And then at the beginning of this year, we moved here to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We started having regular services here, and we began talking about this idea of oikos. How do, we, how do we do mission love? How do we love God and love neighbor? Well, we start with our oikos. Oikos is a Greek word for household. It's the word in the Bible, whenever you read a story where someone says he and his whole household were baptized or came to faith, it's the word oikos. And the idea is, is that everybody has a household of people around them. And household in the Greek use of the word doesn't just mean family, it meant extended family, friends, people that you just live with. So it could be co-workers, classmates, intimate family members, relatively friendly looking strangers. <laughs> Just anybody that you kind of interact with on a regular basis. I think the thing that jumps out at me when I look at this little history, and there's a lot others we could say, but from the time that we first started sort of counting our membership at the end of 2015 to today, we have more than doubled our membership. From 51 to about 108 members in our church. And that is great. But I have to admit that most of that was from the reorganization. As a matter of fact, if you look at the numbers that I put up there, the membership numbers, and forgive me for, for a minute talking about this, but this is an opportunity for me to talk to you about us. But from the time that we did that, we were about 92 members. The next year we were 91, and it wasn't really until this year did we take a significant leap in terms of adding to our membership of new people, of people being baptized which is really what we want to do. It's great bringing in people from other fellowships and other parts of our fellowship that are believers. Nothing wrong with that, and I love every person that moved over, and we're grateful to have you. But it's so much greater when a non-Christian becomes a believer. There's a party in heaven, and we get to celebrate that. And if our mission really is to love God and love people, then we've got to see that change as a church. To be quite frank, we won't be here five years from now if that doesn't begin to change. 
Because as Greg mentioned, we're getting old, some of us. We're getting ready to move on. And we've got to be able to have an audience to pass this on to. How are we going to do that? Well, I want you to look at this graph. And forgive me if this comes off a little bit businessy. I don't mean it to be. It won't be. Trust me, we're going to get into other things in a minute. But I want you to see this for instance, for, for a second, because it's real numbers and it means something. But if we're going to do this, if we're going to truly be a group of people that loves God and loves neighbor and makes this kind of a difference in our oikos, in our worlds, then we're going to have to go to our worlds. We're going to have to be willing to go out there and get involved in our worlds. And to be truth be told, every one of us in this room has somewhere between 8 to 15 people that are right now front and center in your life that you can influence for Christ. Co-workers, friends, neighbors, classmates, relatives, whatever it is, there's about on average 8 to 15 between any one of us people that we can influence and bring to Christ. And what I want you to see on this graph is what would happen if every believer in this room was to lead just two of those 8 to 15 to Christ in the next five years. By the end of the fifth year, we would be a church of over 300 members. That would be significant. Imagine if Peter had never stood up and explained what was going on on Pentecost. That small group of believers would never have turned into a larger group and then a larger group and then impacted the history of the world. It would have gone nowhere. And so, May, March of next year, we are going to celebrate or April, March. We're going to celebrate our fifth year as Simi Church. It's a milestone. I'm super excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. We want to throw a party, but I'm reminded of what Winston Churchill said, said after, world, after uh, the battle uh, for Africa in World War II when he said, it's not the end or it's not the beginning and it's not even the beginning of the end or the end or even the beginning of the end but perhaps it's the end of the beginning talking about the progress of the war at that time and I kind of feel that way our fifth year anniversary as a church is really the end of the beginning we're here we're a church and how great is that we love our church. We love our relationships. We've got great friends, great members here. We enjoy get along, but it's just the end of the beginning. There's so much more that God wants us to do and is calling us to. Now, before you think, well, geez, Joe, I feel like I'm at a timeshare presentation <laughs> or I'm at work. And my sales manager is talking to me about my numbers and then cutting my salary. Right, John? <laughs> I want to talk for a minute about why it matters. And here's what I want you to do. And I hope your hearts are soft and you let this touch you. I want you to watch what comes up on the screen next. Rob, there's a light switch on that post right there. If you could turn it out, it'll help us see the screen. Or Cruz got it. It's the white light switch. 
Yep. Just want you to watch, and I want you to think about this. Why does this matter? What hits you about that image? Family. What else? Love. What else? Oikos. What else? Young. Friendship. People. People. People we care about. Every person in there is a person I care about. And some of you care more about them than I do because you're closer to them. But we care about these people. These are just little pictures from the past five years, as many as I could find in a, in a quick moment. I wanted to share it with you because I wanted you to see why we're doing what we do. It's not so that we have something to do on a Sunday morning. It's because of these people and the many other people that every one of us has in our life that we love and care about. I want to see multiple slides of multiple pictures like that of people becoming disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, having their life changed for Christ. I don't want to go to 300 or 400 or 500 members because I want to be a a big wig. I could care less. But I want to see lives changed for Christ. I believe that's why Peter stood up on Pentecost 2,000 years ago and he began to speak because he wanted to see lives changed for Christ. So what's it going to take? Matthew 22 says, Love, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All of the Old Testament that I love and I love to read and all the stories, they're all telling us the same thing. Love your neighbor. Love your God. It's about love. Radical love. Love that makes a difference in other people's lives. I want you to look at this graph. It's a, it's a graph that describes Matthew 22. On the one hand, on the upright portion, you have love for God. And then at the bottom, going across, you have love for neighbor. Now, if all we did was was focus on love for God, it would ultimately turn us into self-righteous Pharisees. Because loving God that doesn't translate into loving neighbor is self-righteous. It's Pharisaical. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. It's empty. But then I want you to think about if we just loved neighbor, if we were just all about social justice, what would we become then without any call to love God? Well, we would become hypocrites. We'd be a bunch of do-gooders, but there'd be no God in us. 
And so the goal is not to be one or the other, it's to be both. It's to follow the red line in the middle. It's mission love. It's the balance between loving God and loving neighbor. And that leads us to maturity. So how are we going to do it? How are we going to do mission love as a church? Love God and love neighbor. Oikos. Oikos is your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, your mother, your father, your child, your aunt, your uncle, your, your classmate. That's oikos. Those people that matter to you. They're the people that God has supernaturally and strategically placed in your life. And you have a mission that God wants you to fulfill with them. And that is to love them into a relationship with God. What you see here on the screen is the names, first names, of people that have been baptized in our church since 2015. Every person on that list is someone I know personally and I care deeply about. And they're great people. And it's really exciting to see that in 2019 when we started figuring out this Oikos thing and we started figuring out that mission love means to focus on the people in our lives, you notice we started to have more people baptized. What this graph reveals to me though is if we change nothing, if we try to do the same thing in the next five years that we did in the last five years, we are going to have the same result. And so I'm challenging you as we end 2019 and get ready for 2020 to radically embrace mission love. Love God and love neighbor in a way that maybe you have not done for many years or even at all. The other thing I want you to notice about this list that I find fascinating is there's one name I put in red. That is the only person on this list who was met sort of as a total stranger. He was invited to church by someone at at, at his work who just sort of came in for an appointment, invited him out, and he came out. Every other person on this list already knew someone in this church, already had a relationship with someone in the church. Someone who was praying for them and investing in them and inviting them and trying to be Jesus to them. And eventually at some point they said, hey, I'm kind of into what you're doing. I want to learn more. And they came out and then they became Christians themselves. And what's even cooler is on this list, you see the blue names. Those are people who were met on this list who then met other people on this list and brought them out. So you have Gabby who who, who, uh, converted Dylan and Aaron and Aaron who who converted Uh, Kalen. But the truth is, I could say that about several names up there. There's all kinds of interconnections going on just in that list. Now imagine if we were to think about ourselves not as a church of 108, but as a church of a thousand. Because on average, we all have somewhere between 8 to 15. Let's split the difference. Let's say we all have 10 people we're trying to be Jesus to. Well, 10 times every member of this church is about a thousand. We're actually a a church of a thousand people, 900 of it just don't know it yet. Will you commit 
to being the church to them? Will you commit to making them a priority and to radically loving them in 2020? I'm going to end, and I just want to talk about for a minute what I think we need to focus on in 2020. A few things that I want to tell the church, that's why I'm doing it on Sunday, because I want everyone to hear it. This is what I, as the minister of this church, want to call us to focusing on, zeroing in on 2020. First, I want you to focus in on loving God and neighbor. Practice an oikocentric lifestyle. That begins by listing the people that God has supernaturally and strategically placed in your life. Pray for them daily. Invest in them weekly. Invite them regularly and prepare yourself to love and live like Jesus to them. I'm going to challenge you. Do you have your Oikos list already written down? You don't need to raise your hands. I'm just asking a question. But how many of you have already written the list down and keep it? How many of you actually spend time and praying about it every day? How often do you invest in them and invite them to church? If it's not daily, weekly, and frequently, then let's, let's repent and let's do it together in 2020. Go home and make that list. Who is it that God wants you to be Jesus to? Make that list and begin praying investing, inviting, and preparing yourself to be Jesus to them. I believe wholeheartedly if we just do that, that we will see one, two out of everybody's oikos become believers. But I also want us as a church to focus on our family groups. We have family groups. They meet every week for the most part. Well, they used to meet every other week. We wanted to meet every week this year. They start in February, they end in June, then they start again in the fall. I really want to challenge you, if you're not in a family group, to get into a family group. And if you haven't been attending it, make it a priority and attend it. Because there you're going to be reminded to pray for your oikos. There you can pray with other people and connect with other people. It's also a great place to bring people in your oikos, to come and hang out and meet more friends. I also want us to focus on getting involved in the EHD program. Jeremy and Stephanie, great friends. They've piloted this program. They've pioneered it for us. It's a great program to help us grow in our personal walk with God. They're going to provide it in two different sessions in the spring. One in the the first part of the spring, one in the second part of the spring. It's eight weeks each session. I want to encourage you to sign up and go. It'll radically reform and and, and radically alter your, your walk with God in a good way. And your relationships with other people. And then I want, as a church, to come up with four great events that we do in 2020 where we can just bring as many people as we can from our worlds to come and just be a part of what we do. I don't know what those look like yet. We're getting some ideas, but I really want you to be a part of what we're doing. I want to close with this image. And I love this image. I'm embarrassing my daughter here, but that's my daughter a few years ago. And I love the picture because she's sort of looking furtively into the future. It's that look on her face. It's just vision. It's looking forward. And what she's looking at is a building that one day, maybe, God willing, we could find a building of our own, a place of our own, 
where we can make it a place where people can belong. They can come and it can be used throughout the week for the community, for our members, but a place where people can be in family. They can be part of this great and glorious thing that we call church. It's not so much about the building itself as it is about what do we want it to be. I hope you have a great holidays. We're going to be wrapping up the year, as I said, with a few special services, and then I'll be back preaching in January, and we'll be focusing on the church and digging into some of these concepts from the Bible and really calling us to these things. But I wanted to give you an introduction. I wanted to pave the road or prepare the way for you where we're going in 2020. And most importantly, I want to call you to join me in it. Let's go together and become the church that God wants us to be. We're going to stand, we're going to say a prayer, and then you can enjoy.